and I was talking to a creator with 8 million subscribers. She's got multiple channels, so overall about 10 million subscribers. And I asked her, like, I've got a million subscribers, you've got 8 million subscribers. What got me to 1 million is not going to get me to 8 million. Like, what is your best advice? She told me one word, and she told me one word immediately. She said shorts. In today's episode, I'm going to sit down and talk to Mike D. Mike started his YouTube journey seven years ago, and today he has over 1 million subscribers on YouTube and also founded an agency called Playstack. Mike and I will sit down and have a very honest conversation what type of work goes behind such a big channel and how he manages to run two companies simultaneously as a content creator, but also as a business owner. If you have a YouTube channel or thinking about starting one, pay close attention to this episode because because we going to dive into the most important component of a successful YouTube channel. Today, I have 120 subscribers on this channel. And uh, after listening to this episode, now I'm paying attention to the three key components too. Now let's get into the video. Well, congratulations on your writing challenge. Uh, we are looking forward to read your book. I know it's far ahead in the future, but I'm just like uh, putting this seed into people's ears, mm. this idea of you publishing a book soon. And yeah, like, uh, could you introduce yourself and tell us your journey so far? Yep. So I'm Mike running two companies. The first company is a personal development or productivity coaching company. Started that in 2016. As you mentioned, uh, YouTube is the main marketing tool that we use. We hit a million subscribers uh, not too long ago. We basically help people live a healthier, happier, wealthier life. That's the first company. The second company is Playstack. And uh, it's basically a video production agency, but we focus specifically on YouTube. So we help uh, YouTube channel. We help businesses grow their YouTube channel and scale through YouTube, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm super happy to talk about that because I think more and more companies are starting their own YouTube channels now. Like even Riverside that we are, you know, recording right now on, uh, they also have their own YouTube channel and every, like there are more SaaS companies out there and they also want to grow their YouTube channel. So I think it's a really awesome topic to talk about. Um, before we dive into YouTube, could you like tell us uh, to new listeners, like how did you get into YouTube in the first place? Yep. So I started YouTube in 2016, but I feel like my journey started in 2013. So previous to that, I was very kind of uh, unmotivated. My whole life up until 2013, I was very motivated. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I didn't have any drive. Um, I graduated high school my grades were pretty me mediocre and then i remember i accept i was accepted to, out, out of the five universities i had applied for only one of them accepted me and that was like one of the lowest ranked universities in the country so i was like okay i'm not going to go to university for now i'm going to go and get a job so i got a shelf stacking job uh doing the night shift at a supermarket and i was doing that for two years i loved it because i was a because I loved working at, on a nighttime when the supermarket was closed and I could just kind of go into kind of deep work mode and just lose myself, essentially stacking shelves. Um, long story short, the, the supermarket, they were going through some, some pretty, um, I remember there was a, a horse meat scandal and some accounting scandals and these kind of, um, these kind of, this pressure on the, on the CEO kind of funneled down into us. And my manager pulled me into the office one time. He was like, Mike, if you don't speed up, then we're going to have to fire you. So I remember, I remember this was like three in the morning, three 30 in the morning. I was like, like, what am I doing? I'm like, 
I, I think I was 20, 21 at the time. I was like, I'm, I'm 20. I have no, like no responsibilities really. Like I, I'm not, I'm still living with my parents. I don't have any kids. Um, I don't have a mortgage. Like what am I doing here at half three in the morning? Um, and I, I just kind of completely out of character booked a one-way flight to Bangkok, Thailand. And it was the first time kind of traveling by myself. And I met some some ridiculously successful people, like really very, very successful. And and meeting these people and and realizing that actually they're just normal people like me, but they've removed their self-limiting beliefs. It kind of made me realize, like it gave me so much motivation, so much inspiration. And so that's really where the, when the YouTube channel started, I was like, okay, how can I help other people go from where I was kind of unmotivated, uninspired to super motivated, super inspired. And YouTube was the, the best way to do that. I saw a few other YouTube channels. They grew really quickly um, in just a few months in the kind of motivational space. So this was back in 2016 when it was less, uh, less saturated. Um, and I started my, I started posting videos, um, and it, it didn't take too long. It took about six or seven months before the, the first video hits a million views, which looking back now, was like crazy fast. It only took six months, but, uh, YouTube back in 2016 was a very different beast to the YouTube in 2023. Um, so that, yeah, that's pretty much how I started. Yeah. Wow. This is, uh, I think this was my first time hearing the full, full story and then, cause I hear yeah, I, there. I know you you've heard some of that story bit. before. Yeah, right. But like just seeing the whole journey, I guess it was very visual when you're like, okay, it's three in the morning. I was just in my deep work and all of a sudden like horse meat is kicking my butt. Yeah. And it, <laughs> uh, was, it was very strange because it like, I, it was so out of character to buy that, that flight ticket. Like looking back, I'm like, why did I do that? Like it turned out to be the best decision I've ever made. Like even looking back 10 years, 10 years later, still to this day, the best decision I've ever made in my life because it it's put me to where I am now. Like, it's kind of scary because, you know, when I was working at the supermarket, I was working alongside guys that, that had been in that job for 20, 30 years. And there was this older guy called Max and he was in his sixties and he was like, Mike, what are you doing here? Like, you're young, you're smart. Why are you kind of wasting your life stacking shelves? And it didn't really, like, I didn't really understand really, truly what he was saying until after I left test until I left the supermarket right and um and so I'm really glad that I I did make that jump wow that that that's amazing I love when colleagues do these things because in my first job I was just an assistant and I really loved it but it was I mean from a big picture it was really just a copy paste job and the girls around me, I mean, my colleagues around me, they already have kids. They they had their, you know, a lot of their responsibilities together. And they told me like, Annie, you need to get out as soon as possible mm-hmm. because you've got so much talent in you. You speak languages, just go, like, just leave us here, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time, I also didn't understand what they meant. I thought that job was like the job, you know? It's, yeah. 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 Like when I was stuck in shelves, it was genuinely the best, like it was genuinely my dream job. Like when I landed it, I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I've got this. Um, But it really goes to show how, how low my expectations were for my dream job. Like that's how low my, my dreams were back then. Right. Right. And okay. 
Well, okay, so now we are on this YouTube journey and you obviously learned so much from 2016 and today you are consulting other businesses to run their channels. How challenging do you find it to work with clients uh, on YouTube content, especially now that YouTube is a lot more competitive and stuff? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, with YouTube, there's a lot of things that you need to get right. So there's about 20 or 30 things that you need to get right when it comes to YouTube uh, in terms of SEO, in terms of the thumbnails, in terms of the titles, etc. I think the I, I like working on the Pareto principle. So working on the 20% that really moved the needle the most. And, you know, I, 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 I mentioned this with clients all the time is that the three things that you need to be kind of putting your energy and resources into is the idea. So, I, I mean, I can, I can say it until I'm blue in the face. The idea of the video is the single most important thing when it comes to whether your video is going to get views or not. And I know Mr. Beast, he talks about this quite often where he kind of just quadruples like 5x, 6x is the time that he and his team spend on the idea. The second thing is the title, uh, having a, a really kind of clickable, catchy title. And the third thing is the thumbnail. And the title and the thumbnail, they kind of work together in that when you're scrolling through YouTube, it's the title and the thumbnail that um, you're going to see first before someone decides whether or not to click. And like, so getting those, if you can get those three things right, um, like they're the most important components. All right. And do people like get lost into the keyword research part? Because I think for my first YouTube channel, I tried to do that instead, like to see what queries people are putting into search bar and then make a video out of that. But uh, is, is this how you approach ideas or how do you approach the idea part? Well, it really depends on the niche, right? So for example, if it's a, if it's a YouTube channel on how to, um, how to build a website, then it would make sense to focus more on the SEO and the search terms because with those kind of channels, they're more focused on, like a lot of people find those channels through search as opposed to, let's say a personal brand where f very few people actually find that channel from the from search, right? So the the search, the, the, the percent of audience that come to my channel from search, probably about 10% of the entire audience. Um, and then most of it, them are suggested videos and browse features and browse, fe browse features is just the, the homepage. Um, but yeah, like a lot of, like one of the biggest problems that we see with companies is the way that they approach YouTube. They have a marketer running the YouTube channel as opposed to a YouTuber running the YouTube channel, right? So a lot of, a lot of SaaS companies as well, uh, they've got the money, they've got the, 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 the money to make the to, to put resources into the youtube channel um but they're just not optimized right so they'll be making kind of rookie mistakes like um having a super long introduction or the thumbnails won't have a like a person in the thumbnails like ideally you want a, a person like a big face in the in the thumbnails because from a biological or from a psychological perspective a face catches your attention more than an, an inanimate object um, so these are just kind of basic things that we go through with the client, but yeah, those three things, uh, plus all the, all the, there's about 20 or 30 different things that, that you need to kind of optimize when it comes to catching the algorithm. Hi, if you listened to this part, thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave me a review on either Apple podcast, Spotify, or my YouTube channel. 
If you have any feedback for the show, please let me know on the Aspiring CMO Podcast social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, or send me an email on my website. Now let's get back to the episode. Wow, that's okay. That's very insightful because yes, that's true. Like a lot of SaaS companies uh, do have this like templated videos and. To me, I was like, okay, well, that's what I should follow as well. So I think that you were the first person who said like being a marketer and a content creator is like two different things. And then for my, from my head, I was like, oh, why, don't, why aren't they both? But you mm-hmm. really made a point there that thinking as a marketer versus thinking as a content creator is a lot, lot different. Yeah. 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 So now that you are also a business owner, how do you separate that two type of thinking? Um. So like, I'm not like a lot of people think that because I'm running a YouTube channel, I must be super creative. Um, I'm not actually very creative at all. Um, I like the way that I think is far more uh, in the strategy space as opposed to the creativity, which is cool because I, I, you know, people in my team, they fill in the whole of creativity, right? So uh, we've got some amazing people, uh, video editors, videographers, designers that kind of plug in that gap. Um, so I feel much more at home actually running the company as opposed to being creative and coming up with, with video ideas and things like that. Um, so wow. it, it does come kind of more naturally, I think. But how about your channel, like the Mike D channel, Project Elon, that's like, that's you. So the ideas come from you, right? It's me. And the the ideas come from me, but... The creativity doesn't. So what what will happen is like I will plan a plan a video, but I'm very kind of left brain thinking in that it's just like fact, 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 fact. So it's just it's just value. But with YouTube in 2023, you've got to you've got to kind of inject that creativity. And so our process is basically we have like multiple departments in the in the company, and so I will write uh, I will come up with a video idea, and then I will kind of list out the the bullet points or like the main talking points then i will pass it on to the juice department and the juice department they basically add their creative juices juice department did you say that (laughs) yeah so they will add their juices to the to the kind of script outline um and then when we film we have uh guys that are like amazing videographers, they kind of inject their ideas. So it's kind of this process, and then in the and then it passed to the editing pros, the editing team, and they again they inject their ideas, um, and then it goes up to the upload and optimization team. Um, wow. But when it when it comes to when it comes to ideas, because that is the most important thing. There's a few things that you can do, right? So there's the basic things like going on your YouTube channel. If you already have an established YouTube channel, rank from the most popular videos and see what is working already, and then and then making the same videos because you know there's already demand there. Making the same videos but a different angle. You can also do that with your competitors as well. So rank your competitors' videos to most popular and see what's working for them, and then add your own angle. Um, another thing is you can download vidIQ and you can see what videos, what what vidIQ does. It has an extension where it shows you how many views per hour each video is getting. So it might ha- not have the most views, but you'll see videos that pop out, whether it's your channel, your competitor's channel, that are kind of trending right now, that are getting traction, and then replicating those videos. Another way is combining trending topics um, so, for example, uh, two two topics that do really well 
on my channel is speed learning. Like whenever I made it, make a video on speed learning, those videos do really well. And another topic is AI and ChatGPT. Right. So if those two, like if ChatGPT and speed learning, they those two topics do really well, then you combine them. And then I made a video on um, how ChatGPT can help you learn faster, something along those lines. And those videos do really well. So you're essentially combining two really good ideas or topics that do really well and then uh, combining them up. Also, um, current events. Like, so my, my, my topic, the things I talk about is about personal development, productivity. And then if I combine those topics with current events, for example, like if Elon Musk uh, buys Twitter, for example, and then somehow combine my topic with what people are already talking about and getting that video out fast. Um, that's another way that you can kind of come up with uh, ideas that are more likely to do well. Wow. Okay. Thank you. There. Well, personally, thank you for that because I just started the channel too. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a great tip. And yesterday I also talked to someone who is also a SaaS company. They are, they are running a SaaS company and they just started the YouTube channel. And I see that their views are very low. Mm. I mean, it's a very, very brand new um, YouTube channel as well. Um, do you, uh, I think you are the one that mentioned the 1% rule at the ASEAN Master Summit. And since then, I've been taking that to, uh, first of all, be more patient with myself, yeah. but also to leave room for improvement. And I see that in a company, they tend to just make it a template. So each video kind of looks the same. They, it, they look nice though. So it's an interesting take where they probably hired a really great video editor and their brand manager is the face and they kind of replicate the same style of video over and over again. But then there is not a lot of growth. What, what would you advise for people like that? Cause I think a lot of companies are doing this. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about growth mindset, right? Where, um, so the 1% rule was a coin by James clear. Basically you get 1% better every day with your content. So one video, you might focus a little bit more on the the sound quality the next the idea the next video the backdrop um the idea being that like when you're looking at a youtube channel if it's an established channel if you look at a video today and then you look at a video that was made 12 months ago there should be a significant improvement in the type of video in the videos that they're making right um, and that shows that they're growing, that, sh that shows that they're, they're making progress because YouTube's algorithm is very ruthless in that they really want you to improve, improve, improve. Like they're really pushing you. And, um, you know, YouTube isn't like it was five years ago, 10 years ago. It's a lot more saturated now. Um, and if you're not improving 1% one, uh, 1 each video, then your competitors are, and then they're going to kind of overtake and, um, so yeah, I think using templates is fine as long as you're improving those templates incrementally each stage. And it's not just YouTube, right? It's like in your personal life, like whatever you're doing, whether it's your work, even in relationships, like you should be, uh, you shouldn't really be settling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Today I tried to fix my morning routine. So okay. That was number one. Uh, ever since I've been talking to so many successful people like you, I'm like, okay, I should put something into implementation so i fix my morning routine i tell you but a like, really good yeah. a really good idea when it comes to morning routine is and i love this because it worked so well for me 
is tell everyone <clears throat> like if you're going to commit to something like let's say your morning routine you decide okay i'm going to wake up at 5 a.m every single day for the next 30 days you just tell everyone and anyone like it doesn't even matter whether they'll listen that's not the point so when because they're gonna because they're <laughs> gonna get tired of your daily stories i know this from experience um but it's the accountability when you know that there's so many eyes on you um, like what I, I just finished a write a book in 30 day challenge. I was writing 1,500 words. I didn't have an option to give up. Like I didn't have an option. And believe me, like some of those days I was, I, I woke up at like four in the morning. I was like, I really don't want to do this. But then I was like, okay, I don't want to look like an idiot. I've got to get up. And so I got up and it really does work. It really is quite powerful. Do you do that with other stuff as well? Or was this just for the challenge? I'm going to start. I'm going to start. So probably the next challenge is the, probably the next challenge, which is funny because I said that I'm never going to do another of these know, Thursday challenges it. again. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next challenge will be uh, posting. So this will be more manageable, posting a short form video every day for the next 30 days. Uh, because we're going harder in sh with short form content. I was thinking about doing something like uh, how to wait like waking up at 4 a.m. every morning um, for 30 days. But then it's like, if you're going to do a challenge like that, it should be something that is going to move the needle more than anything else. And just waking up, like I'm already waking up at 5 a.m. So it doesn't really make much, like it doesn't make that much difference whether I woke up at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. On top of that, I have calls sometimes in the U.S. until 10, 30, 11 at night yeah. because of the time zone differences. And so it would kind of be counter productive if i was then trying to wake up at 4 a.m every morning but like the the shorts from content posting a short every day uh watch out for that okay all right well <laughs> uh, i did see a study that people that there was this very successful channel they uh, that i forgot their name but they made a video that um they were posting more short form content but then it kind of diluted their audience and the overall, it was like the, their their summary was that even though you're posting a lot of short form, it gets more views, but it don't get you loyal followers. What, what's mm. your take on that stuff? Yeah, so so I was at VidCon about a month ago, and I was talking to a creator with eight million subscribers. She's got multiple channels, so overall about ten million subscribers. Um, her name's uh, Marina McGilco, and I asked her. What is the one thing? Like, I've got a million subscribers. You've got 8 million subscribers. What got me to 1 million is not going to get me to 8 million. Like, what is your best advice for, for me to go from 1 million to 8 million? She told me one word, and she told me one word immediately. She said, shorts. You need to start posting short-form content because I've not fact-checked this, but it makes sense. She said that 80% of views on YouTube come from shorts now. Um, and that's how she's gone for like, that's how she's getting millions of, of subscribers. Um, and I think it's something that we can't really sleep on about six or seven months ago, the YouTube algorithm changed. So a while ago, um, just, in, just after shorts came out, just after shorts was introduced on YouTube, what, what they were doing was they were splitting your audience in that if, if someone was watching your long form content, and then, and then they watch your short form content, the algorithm would stop showing them your long form content, if that makes sense. What? So shorts Why were in some that? ways detrimental to the, the channel. However, uh, they've since fixed that. They fixed that about six months ago. And so 
um, now short form and long form, they do kind of work together. I see shorts more of a, more like marketing in terms of branding and getting people kind of recognizing your face and getting your foot in the door. And then the long form is more sales um, in that you can kind of convert a lot higher because it is quite difficult to convert with shorts. Um, and you need, you need a pretty, um, you need a pretty efficient sales funnel and call to action at the end in order to convert. But yeah, I see shorts more of the marketing and then the long form is more of the, um, the sales. Yeah. Uh, from, uh, I guess if I was to say something about shorts is that for me, it's still very beneficial because I'm a very, very small beginning channel. Like we just started a few weeks ago and, to me, first of all, I started off with not knowing how to do basic video editing. And like, I didn't even know how to do a simple eight cut. Like that's how basic I started out two months ago. And obviously today I, I could do other stuff, but I used the short form content to basically experiment with all the features that mm. the editing software has so that it, over time, um, if you compare my first short video to, I don't know, my most recent one, like they have a big change. So that was for me like practice. And the second is like, it does give more traction to other social media pages, like my Instagram, Facebook, and yep. obviously my TikTok, uh, no, uh, YouTube, yeah. Yeah, I, and I think shorts are the, it's pretty much the easiest way to grow on any, on, on Instagram, obviously TikTok, on YouTube, it's kind of the easiest way to go viral. Um, it's, it's interesting though, shorts, they have a lower average, a view per video but what you're looking for with shorts is like one video a month let's say that goes kind of semi-viral that gets maybe 500,000 views a million two million like that's really what you're aiming for just that one video a month and what what will happen then is like it will it will lift your entire um social media account whether it's youtube whether it's instagram like i i, I know people that have um that have gone from almost zero Instagram followers, maybe, maybe a few hundred to 40,000 just from having two or three within a period of two or three weeks, just from having a couple of reels blow up, like kind of go semi-viral. Um, and so that's really what you're looking for with shorts. Whereas with long form content, it's more, you're looking for consistency as opposed to one video necessarily blowing up. Okay. Okay. But that's really good to take away too. And I'm also thinking like, I shouldn't expect a lot from people who find my channel now because my channel don't have much content. So like, I'm also thinking that, well, I don't, I don't want to expect a lot because I don't even have at least like 20, 30 long form videos that I can mm. offer people to, to at least hit the subscribe. Cause I know I'm a user and I'm also picky. Like if I want to subscribe or make sure I subscribe to a great channel. Right. So yeah. Yeah. And the first one, when you start a YouTube channel, the first hundred subscribers are always the hardest because there's no social proof. Like I, I don't, I can't remember the last time that I've subscribed to a channel that has less than a hundred subscribers. Um, but once you hit that hundred, then the next hundred are a lot easier and, and then you're getting social proof, right? So the more subscribers you have, the more likely people are, are like are going to subscribe because there's social proof, right? If you've got a million subscribers, then, um, like that shows to everyone that wants to subscribe that there are an, a million people that have already subscribed. So that's pretty solid uh, social proof. However, that's when people would ask you like, well, Mike, then how come I just don't, you know, run ads on my YouTube page or something? Like yeah. That? 
Yeah, the problem with ads is that it kills organic growth. So if you have a video that's doing really well, and that's the idea with YouTube, like your your main goal for YouTube is really just to get picked up by the algorithm, just having that one video that gets picked up by the algorithm. The thing about ads is that if you put it on, if you put ads on a video that doesn't uh, perform well or that is performing well, it will completely kill organic growth, like completely kill organic growth. Um, and then also the 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 audience that you get from ads, they're not necessarily the audience that are going to subscribe and start watching your channel long term, right? And that's really what why, in my opinion, organic growth and and having people subscribe is a lot better. Um, unless you have, I I know a lot of YouTubers that do very well with ads, but they have a very uh, well defined uh, sales funnel, and so they're they're getting a strong positive ROI. But they're 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 doing ads not to grow their channel, but to sell products. Okay. And I think if you want to grow a channel and you want to grow it sustainably, then uh, organic organically is the best way to go. All right. When at what point did you start your digital products then because you also um have many courses before you started your your actual business right yeah so i was quite late in the i started the channel in 2016 it started getting traction 2017 it wasn't until about 2019 ish that i that i created my own product and um, my own course and that was kind of like a, a bit of a eureka moment in that for the first time it was like oh my goodness i can go to sleep i can wake up in the morning and i've made money and um that kind of changed the whole the whole uh business so you know i i created a we we've created uh, quite a few courses now but my first course was or is the transform your grades course i made that in, in about 2019 it's still selling to this day even though i've not touched it since 2019 and and, and that's what i love about uh, YouTube is that it's kind of evergreen, right? So we've got videos that we posted in 2016, 2017 mainly. And those videos are still getting views. They're still getting sales, even, you know, five days, five years later. Um, so yeah, that, that was a pretty, pretty big deal for us. So now we've got about 30,000 students worldwide that have bought our courses. Um, and I, my biggest regret is starting early is that I didn't start earlier. At what point do you think somebody should start early? I mean, uh, shouldn't the first phase is to really grow your craft, which is making the videos and stuff? Yes. So the so the first the first step I would say is um, is to wait until you're getting organic traction, right? Meaning that your 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 YouTube channel is getting steady views every every day. It, it doesn't have to be a lot, but it should be. Um, steady views every day to the point where you're seeing that growth you're seeing that subscriber count grow maybe maybe you're at 5,000 subscribers maybe 10,000 subscribers but once you've you've got through that hurdle of you know trying to get organic traction then uh, I think monetizing it and and going to sponsorships and going into courses is the best way to go um, and I, I know in terms of sponsorships as well, like a lot of people are leaving mo a lot of money on the table because they just don't know. They don't know. So I, like, I, I only hired a, I, I, I've been working with agencies since 2018, but I only hired a brand manager in around 2021 and that changed everything. Like that was, um, you know, once you hire someone that really knows what they're doing, um, 
you know, within 30 days of our brand manager working with us, she she doubled sponsorship revenue in, in 30 days. Wow. And like wow. the sponsorship revenue was decent to begin with. And within 60 days, she tripled it just because she's, she really knew what she was doing and she was negotiating hard. And a lot of sponsorships, it's about negotiation. And the problem with agencies is that they, they're negotiating on behalf of the brand, right? So the brand, so for example, Notion might go to the agency and be like, okay, we've got a million dollars. We want the highest ROI on that, um, on that million dollars, on that budget. And so the agency would be negotiating with me the lowest price that they possibly can. And they're very good at negotiating. But then once you get a brand manager, they're negotiating on your behalf, on, on my behalf. So um, they're, negoti they're negotiating the highest amount. Um, and that was a game changer, as was the courses. Wow. Okay, that's a cool insight because uh, I don't think a lot of people talk about like how sponsorships work. I, to me, I'd always been like, okay, Notion sent you an email and then, you know, it's done. Uh, but again, like, because I'd never done that before. So it's mm -hmm. a really amazing insight to, to yeah. have. So thank you for and, sharing. Yeah, and that's why it's so important to have someone that really knows what they're doing because, you know, a, a lot of people don't know how much to charge. Like, that's one of the biggest questions. Like, how do you know how much to charge? Um, if you get a, a good brand manager alongside you, they'll know how much to charge. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with the course selling thing, I also asked another YouTuber, but her channel is quite like a lot smaller. She's got 8K subscribers and she also selling her digital product. And she told me that it is working, but although she still has to um, do freelancing on the side. So, well, yeah, just, a, a, I guess, different channels can yeah um, it, it really depends on the the niche as well so i you know I, I know youtube channels i know youtubers that have significantly smaller youtube channels than me maybe 150 200 000 subscribers but they're probably generating more revenue than than my business even though i have a million subscribers because their cpm is higher um like even some of our clients their cpms are absolutely crazily high like i've never seen cpm so high before they don't need a lot of views to get a, a lot of ad revenue um so it really is and that's why i'm reluctant to say okay you have to have a thousand views per day to start making courses because it really depends on the niche if you're in a really high cpm niche then you don't need that many views at all so at what type of niches are the one that have low or or high cpm all i know is that like topics like maybe sex or something they don't have they have very low or zero cpm but i guess it's because of the topic but i don't know other topics for example yeah so super low cpm so we uh, one of our clients is a cannabis lawyer and so like it goes against some of the YouTube's guidelines. It's kind of a gray area when it comes to YouTube. So those CPMs are really low because companies don't necessarily want to be associated with cannabis. Yeah. Uh, prank videos uh, for ch ch uh, niches for children, like targeting children, um, such as Mr. Beast, for example, his CPM. Maybe Mr. Beast is a bad example, but... YouTube channels that are aiming for children because at the end of the day, it's all dependent on the disposable income of your average viewer, right? And if your channel is targeting, like it's a, say, let's say it's a cartoon channel that's targeting 10 year olds, 15, maybe 10, 12 year olds, um, then they're probably not going to be buying many uh, things. 
and then on the other side, the high CPMs, uh, Google Analytics is massively, is really high, real estate, crypto, sales, um, like anything really revolving money okay. where the average viewer has a lot of money to invest. So like with the NFT and the crypto boom a couple of years ago, um, you know, those CPMs were crazy because people were just throwing money all over the place. Um, yeah. Wow. I, wow. That's really cool. So does your personal development then fall in between the two? Cause it's, I mean, the person who watches it still has some person like disposable income, like quite some, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so personal development is about in the middle. It's mm -hmm. not ridiculously high. It's not ridiculously low either. If you can go into kind of a sub niche, so personal development is quite uh, a, a broad niche, but then if you go to a sub niche, um, like Ali, Ali Abdul has done quite a good job of this where his his main YouTube channel is is um, personal development, but then he's kind of gone into the sub niche of finance and business, and he talks about money quite a lot. So although the personal development niche is relatively average in terms of the scale of CPM, he's moving more to the higher part of uh, or higher CPM because he's gone into the sub niche of finance and business. So really, it's a, it, it's dependent on the topics that you talk about. Really. Oh wow! Wow, that's. Very cool. Well, another thing I learned today. So, so thank you mm. for that. All right. So we are coming to the end. And my last question is really is if you were to, uh, with all the knowledge and experience that you have today, what would be your advice for people in their early 20s or starting out? I think in your early 20s is when you have the most freedom and you have the least responsibilities. I think it's so important that you you kind of take risks you try new things, you find your passions if you haven't found your passions already, and you, you really spend your 20s learning, right? Because once you, like once people have kids, once they have families, once they have a mortgage, mortgage, it's very difficult to make the kind of decisions, or, or it's, it's more difficult to take risks, right? And, and I'm really, really happy that I took those risks when I was in my early 20s, and I did just, you know, fly to Thailand, and then to Southeast Asia and just kind of as, as cliche as this is, I found myself in Southeast Asia in that I, like I, I, I kind of became a different person. I, I started my personal development journey. I think also self-education is absolutely huge, right? If you can, if you can, instead of like, I don't know, when you're eating, instead of watching friends on Netflix, you watch a documentary or you listen to a podcast and really just kind of, like my, my most powerful or my, my most of um, the best habit that I've ever uh, implemented into my life was in 2013. What I used to do was two hours a day, I would, I would be learning. I would be either watching documentaries, listening to podcasts, talking to people, um, watching uh, educational YouTube videos. And that accumulated over years and years. And that was absolutely life-changing. So if you can make that a habit in your early twenties, then that will give you a massive competitive advantage. Wow. Thank you so much, Mike. And if people would like to find you, how, uh, if, if you, if people would like to reach out to you, how can they find you? Uh, you just, uh, at Mike D official on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Amazing. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much for your time because that's the most valuable asset we have and you it chose is. to spend time with the aspiring CMO. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. All right.